Queen Victoria is remembered for her very strict moral code. But what popular gambling game owes its first written rules to her? Ah. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and what U.S. president said, I would have made a good pope? A good pope. Answers to those and other questions coming up in this episode of The Off-Ramp with Bob and Marsha Smith. Welcome to The Off-Ramp, a chance to slow down, steer clear of crazy, take a side road to sanity, and learn a few things. See, I changed it up a little there. <laughs> we try to do that with history and trivia and bits of information we pull from various places. And let's go with your question there first, Marcia. Yeah, you wonder who said that, don't who you? Said, I know who you thought at first, but who'd you think of second? <laughs> <laughs> what president said, I would have made a good pope? I'm thinking of somebody very, very demonstrative like Teddy Roosevelt. Yeah, that sounds about right. Mm -hmm. But it was Richard Nixon. (laughs) Really? He said that? (laughs) I would make a good pope? He also said, when a president does it, it means it's not illegal. Oh, yeah, that sounds like (laughs) Richard Nixon. I would have made a good pope, you know? And when a president does it, it's not illegal. (laughs) Gosh. Who does that sound like? Oh, dear Lord. Okay. Two more quotes. One from Lyndon Johnson. Okay. He said, never trust a man whose eyes are too close to his nose. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Dear. That sounds like some Texas uh, folklore or something. But my favorite is Benjamin Franklin. He had a million of them, didn't he? Mm -hmm. But he said, three people may keep a secret if two of them are dead. (laughs) That's the only way it works. That's interesting. Now, because you brought up Benjamin Franklin, and I have a Benjamin Franklin question. Okay. If I can find it. I had it right here, and I thought, oh, this would be a good one. I can sing while you're looking. If ever I would leave you. Oh, my God. Let me find it. (laughs) It won't be in springtime. Well, we can't find that question. We'll just have to go to something else, and we'll get to that later. Okay. Speaking of rulers, (laughs) Queen Victoria is remembered for the very strict moral atmosphere she fostered in England. But what popular gambling game owes its first written rules to her? Poker. That's exactly right. Ta-da! Oh, how did you know that? Well, I was just thinking of time and how long poker's been around, and the queen is in the poker game, and the king. I don't know. She was introduced to uh, poker at a royal party at Somersetshire by the U.S. ambassador to England, Robert Cumming Shank. And uh, the 62-year-old diplomat showed the queen how to play, and at her request, he wrote down the rules of the game, which is the first written codification of the rules of poker. Huh. Anyway, I thought that was kind of interesting. It is, yeah. Now, what do rulers do when they have a big agreement? What's one thing they always do? They take a picture of them? Signing a... Agreement. Uh, no, I know. They uh, take. <laughs> no, well, they might do that too. You mean what's the name of no. that thing? They what do? do they do physically? Well, they shake hands. They shake hands. How far back does the handshake go? And I have to credit this to one of our listeners, Steve Short of San Francisco. And we can't shake hands now. No, we can't. That that was Steve does a report called the Short Report. Uh huh. This was on one of his recent newsletters. He just mentioned that, and he had a link to the History Channel had okay. a thing on the handshake. So I'm asking you now how far back how many years ago did the handshake originate how far back do we know people were doing handshakes 
All right, I'm thinking, I'm thinking. I'll say... I'll say the 17th century. 17th century AD, right? So about 400 years ago, 300. No, you're wrong. AD, you'd have a 17th century BC? Well, they know for sure how far back it goes because one of the earliest depictions of a handshake is found in a 9th century BC relief of the Assyrian king pressing the flesh with a Babylonian ruler to seal an alliance. And it's it's as plain as day. These guys are shaking oh, hands. Really? And it, it's a gorgeous-looking piece of sculpture. Well, that, wow. You know, you've seen those at the uh, British Museum. They took off some of the temples over in uh, Iraq. And this is one of those. And nice. it shows them shaking their hands. And the poet Homer also described handshakes several times in the Iliad and the Odyssey. So I, that's how far back it goes. Wow, I didn't go back nearly far enough. Ninth century B.C. So... 11,000 years. <laughs> That's interesting. I wonder when the kiss started. That's probably been here from yeah. time immemorial, too. But, you know, since the beginning of time. And thanks again to Steve Short for that. That okay. was great. Okay. The New York City population is equal to the combined population of how many states? You don't have to name the states. Just think, how many states have the combined population of just New York City? So we're going by the biggest number of states you can say, because yeah. some big states yeah. could equal the population yeah. of New York City. Yeah. How many? Seven. Wow. What are they? Vermont, Alaska, Montana, North Dakota, South Dakota, Wyoming, and West Virginia together don't have the population of roughly 8.4 million people in New York City. That is amazing. That, That's a lot, especially that, consider whole states. Yeah. Well, I thought maybe a couple like Vermont, maybe Wyoming, but I didn't think seven. And, you know, London and New York City are very similar in population, both about 8.3, 8.4 something. But uh, you know what the difference in square miles is between London and uh, New York City? I would think London would be more spread out and bigger. Way bigger. London has 138 square miles more than New York City. Holy cow. That's a, that's a lot. So those eight and a half million people got a lot more room there. And when you look down on London from a uh, airplane, it's all zigzaggy and everything. It's very ancient. You can and tell it's been around there for a funny. long time. You know? When we were in London, I thought it was much busier and condensed than New York City. It just seemed like there were people everywhere, throngs. But obviously I'm wrong. The same amount of people, but they have more room. Hmm. Interesting. All right, now I've got a question for you about a famous American president who stole one of his great expressions. Franklin Roosevelt did not invent the expression, the New Deal. What great American writer did in a famous book? Okay, and FDR stole it. So it'd have to be... Uh... Something he probably read as a kid. Yeah. I'm, uh, let's see. Mark Twain is... Mark Twain. Ah, okay. All right. What book was it? Oh, for God's okay. sake. Okay. I'll, uh, say, I'll, I'll say uh, Huck Finn. No. Tom Sawyer. No. Uh, don't know. No. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You're a little too quick I'm just it. ready for that. Okay. From a Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court. And we know this because in a letter to the International Mark Twain Society on December 8th, 1933, FDR wrote that he borrowed the term New Deal from, quote, that passage in the book in which the Yankee declares that in a country where only six people out of a thousand have any voice in the government, that the 944 dupes need a new deal. So he took it from there. Okay, Bob. Mm -hmm. Why don't you often see 
really tall, old people. Well, because your body shrinks as you get older. That's what I would have said. Yeah. But that's not it. I mean, your height does shrink. You, yeah. You notice but, that. Yeah, you can shrink, you know, a couple inches, but you're still going to be six eight, six nine, six, you know, seven-foot wow, person. I wish I would be that tall. Well. <laughs> <laughs> I always thought I'd break six foot, but I didn't. Uh, you'd be real. My grandma told me I was going to. <laughs> Did she? Then she died. Oh. She died, and that was it. <laughs> the dream was over. Well, according to Men's Health magazine, Men lost an average of 1.2 years of life for every extra inch of height. Oh, really? That's right. A six-foot man can expect to live six years less than a man 5'7". So count your lucky stars. Oh, okay. Uh, A previous study indicated even more dramatic effect. Men who stood less than 5'8 lived to an average age of 82. And uh, those over six feet... 73. Holy cow. So the taller you are, the less longer you'll live. Yeah. And uh, some scientists in the UK point to the DNA. In a bigger body, the cells have to divide more, which can affect your aging and lifespan. Okay. So if the taller you are, the more your body has to work to provide you nutrients and everything else. Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. Well, finally. (laughs) That's interesting. You don't really see really old, very tall people. That's true. That's yeah. true. Okay, here's an interesting fact, and this relates to an animal that you used to love. You had cats, right? I just had one. Oh, I guess he just lived that long. He lived okay. 21 years. That <laughs> was. <laughs> okay, how did the Persians use cats to defeat the Egyptians in battle? Really? Now, this is a legend, but it's an ancient legend. Well, I imagine they use black cats to make them feel inferior or scared. You're on to something. Legend has it that the cats led to the defeat of the Egyptian army in 525 B.C. The Persian invader Cambyses, I don't know for sure how to pronounce this, C-A-M-B-Y-S-E-S, placed a row of cats in front of his troops, and the Egyptians, who considered cats sacred, Refused to shoot their arrows across the animals. Oh, very interesting. Yeah. That's pretty smart, don't you think? I thought so. Well, here's a smart question. How much dirt do you think you're going to ingest by the time you die, Bob? (laughs) Eat my dust. (laughs) Uh, Gee, I don't, hopefully none, but I would say, okay, it's probably got to come in in terms of dust and sand and things like that. Let's just say a half a pound. That's a lot. How much? How much dirt does the average person ingest? Six pounds, Bob. (laughs) (laughs) I got grit in my teeth just thinking about that. Oh, yeah, you know, you get a little dust, a little dirt, uh, you inhale it, uh, it just comes in, and by the time you're ready to kick off, it adds up to six pounds. Now, some cultures actually eat dirt. In fact, Bob, there's a restaurant in Tokyo for $110, people dine on salad with dirt dressing, (laughs) sea bass with dirt risotto, and uh, they enjoy a dessert of dirt ice cream. Oh, for goodness sake. Eating dirt may be a current fad in developed nations, but elsewhere it's not new. Scientists know that some cultures have been eating dirt for around a millennia. It sounds like an insult. They're dirt eaters They're dirt over there. They're dirt eaters, I know. But uh, eating dirt is more common in tropical areas where microbes that are both harmful and helpful thrive. Well, that's an interesting thing. So, And it, <laughs> it doesn't mention that eating dirt is a way to die either, does no, it? No, no. It's said that it actually... It's healthy. People who are starving have eaten it. Oh, my goodness. All right, yeah. so... Let's say you decided you wanted to die and you wanted to drown. 
Okay. What body of... Jeez, that cheers me up. What body of water in America would you really have to try hard to drown in if you wanted to? Ah, Salt Lake City. The Great Salt Lake, yeah, yeah. And the same goes for the Dead Sea. Uh, The reason is the same because the salt content. The water is so buoyant, it's difficult for a person to even sink under the surface in either one of those lakes. Yeah. So that's how you can die. Okay. (laughs) Okay, let's take a break and we'll be right back. This is The Off-Ramp with Bob. And Marcia. Smith. Okay, we're back with The Off-Ramp, Bob and Marcia Smith. Well, here's something important. Okay. What's the world's record? For the largest puppy litter. <laughs> the world's record. I didn't know. What's, what's the average puppy litter? Is it uh, like five, five or, or six yeah, puppies or correct, something? Correct. I still remember when we picked up ours out of that little litter there. Yeah. Um, okay. World's record. Let's go, let's go with three times that. Fifteen puppies. That sounds good, but it's more even. In 2004, a Neapolitan Mastiff named Tia. Gave birth to 24 puppies. 24 <laughs> puppies. Wow. Wow. 24. Okay, I just thought that was fascinating. Guinness Book of Records never lets you down. No, it never does. <laughs> it never does. Here's one. What popular flavor comes from an orchid? What popular flavor? This is a very popular flavor. It is? Vanilla. Vanilla comes from an orchid? Yeah, it comes from the vanilla plant, which is a climbing orchid that attaches itself to trees with aerial rootlets. Of 20,000 species of orchids, it's the only one that produces a commercially useful commodity. Huh. The vanilla plant, which is an orchid. Well, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Well, I bet you didn't know this either. (laughs) What design feature prevents trains from tipping over when they round a curve? What what design feature? What design feature? Some aerodynamic thing that keeps them on the track. It's huh? something that years and years ago the designers of rail systems discovered. Okay. Uh, okay, I don't know, Bob. Well, it's not in the trains. The design feature is in the rails. On a curve, the rail on the outside of a curve is higher than the rail oh, on the inside. Oh, well, of course, that makes sense. That's how racetracks for automobiles uh, are constructed as well, with oh, a track on an incline. Yes. Uh, of course, that makes sense. Well, why didn't you know it? I d- <laughs> well, you know, you can't know everything. <laughs> it's, uh, all right. Well, I have a good transition from your uh, Salt Lake question. Okay. Okay. If all the salt in the oceans could be taken out and spread evenly over the land surfaces of the world, okay, there would be a layer of salt. How tall? Well, except for the uh, the salt I take for my sandwiches. <laughs> the salt for your sandwiches? <laughs> uh, let's say 10 feet deep. 10 feet. No. Over the whole entire world, a layer of salt, the height of a 50-story building. This is just from the ocean? Yeah. Holy cow, that's yeah. amazing. It is. That is amazing. So you took all of the salt out of the ocean yeah. and put it on land, the, the height of a 50-story building. That's <laughs> a... Uh... Oh, Lord, that's a lot of salt. <laughs> Apparently, the world does have too much salt. I guess so. Wow. Okay, recently, the Confederacy has been big in the news about the Confederate monuments and, you know, the Confederate flag and very controversial. I have a question for you. Are Confederates buried in Arlington National Cemetery. I know whose plantation that was, Robert E. Lee's. That's right. Yes, well, no, I I would say no. Well, that's what I would think too, but there are 400 Confederate graves today. It's in Section 16 of Arlington National Cemetery. Now, that was added years later. 
For the first 40 years, Confederates were banned from Arlington National Cemetery because the men who fought and won the Civil War considered the cemetery exclusively for U.S. military veterans. Uh And Confederate soldiers were definitely not in the U.S. military. But by 1900, uh, feelings had changed. And in 1903, the first Confederate Memorial Day ceremonies were held, and there was a memorial there. Now, the memorial there is considered controversial today because it's got some pretty sensitive imagery. They've got an African-American mammy cradling the infant of a dead rebel soldier, and they have a soldier going off to war followed by his slave. That's all engraved in this monument. Yeah. Moses Jacob Ezekiel, that was the name of the sculptor. He was a Confederate veteran and a designer. And just for the record, the descendants of the sculptor, they think that monument should be taken down. Yeah. In 2017, they wrote, As proud as we are of Moses's artistic prowess, we, some 20 Ezekiels, say, remove that statue. Take it out of its honored place at Arlington National Cemetery. Take it down. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. But there are Confederates buried at Arlington National Cemetery. Didn't know that. And, oh, you mentioned that was Robert E. Lee's plantation. Technically, it wasn't. It was his wife's land that was given to her by her father in his will. And in that will, he gave Robert E. Lee some land somewhere else. But that land was exclusively for her. Oh, his wife. That happened a lot back then. The, The wife's family that gives you the land. And who was her father? I don't know. He was a stepson of George Washington. Really? Yeah, oh, yeah. one of Mary's sons. Yes, right. Exactly. Oh, oh God. The intertwining yeah. of those oh, two families, man. the and Lees the, and, of the, the, and the That's part of the horror of that war. There was families against families. Yeah. Jeez. Well, blood, sweat, and tears, Bob, besides okay. being a great old band, great band. of mine. Love them. <laughs> it's a, a, also a popular phrase in use for many years, uh-huh. and it originates from an address by what person? Winston Churchill. Oh, what did he say? I Bob? think he didn't say it in that order. It wasn't blood, sweat, and tears. It was tears, toil, the sweat. You got it. He said blood, toil, tears, and sweat in a speech. But somebody shortened it to blood, sweat, and tears. And uh, it's a great phrase, actually. No one could say stuff like Churchill. Speaking of famous people. Yeah. Jimmy Carter, who was a president. Uh-huh. What one event in Jimmy Carter's personal background makes him different than any other U.S. president? He has a first. No other president can claim this. What was Jimmy Carter's first in his background, his personal background, not as president? What was his first? I guess I'd call it an accomplishment. He has a first. Yeah. That goes all the way back to when he was born. To when he was born. I don't know. He was the first U.S. president born in a hospital. Oh, right. It's amazing, isn't it? Oh, yeah. You know, he's a relatively recent president, and that's the first president that ever was born in a hospital. That tells you something about the development of America and the world, you know. Speaking of being born, I have an interesting question about a tree. (laughs) The way you say a tree. What tree has the most delayed sexual maturity... In all of nature. I can, I can tell you honestly, I didn't know trees had sexual maturity. Oh, you don't know what they're doing at night. <laughs> you know, when you're not looking. Yeah. There's a lot of saps out There's there. There's a lot of saps. Okay, it's the sequoia. And the reason I say it has the most delayed sexual maturity in all of nature, it waits 175 to 200 years before its first flowers. And when it does, that's when it bears millions of seeds. Really? It takes 175 to 200 years before it 
has seeds, and the seeds are so small it takes 3,000 of them to weigh an ounce. Really? Isn't that amazing? This tiny, tiny yeah, seeds, yeah. and from that, this largest of all trees grows. Yeah. Fascinating, I thought. Uh, yeah. Okay, well, here's something that's physics. <laughs> okay. Okay. A principle of physics explains the action and noise of a whip. You know how when you hit the whip, oh, yes. it crack? Why does it crack, Bob? It cracks because when the whip, when it finally starts coming back, it pops the air. It creates a concussion in the air. Why? Uh, I don't know. It's because it moves faster than the speed of sound. Wow. It goes 760 miles per hour. Who's measuring this? I don't know. <laughs> Jeez. And uh, that creates the crack sound. 760 miles per hour. Yeah, faster than the speed of sound. That's why it cracks. We're amazed when a baseball goes over 120 yeah. miles an yeah. hour when the pitcher throws it. No, they don't do it 120. 100. Oh, yeah. There's, they no, go there's, over 100. There's a record of 120 miles per hour is one of the fastest oh. pitch balls. I've got it somewhere. I just read it the other really? day. Really? Yeah. Who was the pitcher? It's not somebody you know, but I got the name of the person. Oh, but I okay. got it in another sports question. I've got my sports file over here. <laughs> yeah. Well, there you go. What's so funny about nothing, that? Nothing, nothing. You go right ahead. All right, let me see here. And here it is. I did find it in my sports <laughs> file. You think I'm kidding? No. And it was 127 miles per hour. That's the highest recorded speed for a pitched baseball, at least the recent statistic I saw. And the person who threw it was a New York Yankee second baseman, Mark Koenig. Really? He threw this ball uh, 16 years before Bob Feller's famous pitch, which was a 98.6 mile per hour pitch, Bob Feller of the Cleveland Indians. Um, and it was measured with the same U.S. Army equipment that measured Bob Feller's throw. But that's the record. Okay. According to the information I have, 127 well, miles per they, hour. Why were they clocking him? Why were they clocking his ball? Now, does that you you always go back to things that don't matter? This is the record. Okay. Though yeah. I do have a sports question for okay. you. Okay. Now you are a daughter of Wisconsin, so the football team. Cheese runs in my veins. Cheese is in your veins, which will explain your early death. But <laughs> <laughs> all right, so daughters of the Green Bay Packer team. I mean, you just love the Packers, right? It's just in your blood. Even when I moved away. Yes, even when you away. moved away. Okay, we all know Vince Lombardi was a, the greatest coach of the Green Bay Packers, and that's what he's known for. And then later on, he went to coach the Washington Redskins, and, and then he died shortly thereafter. He didn't live much longer after that. But how did Vince Lombardi use modern technology to help Washington Redskins football player Larry Brown start his plays faster? He was very innovative, Vince Lombardi was. Yeah. Well, I don't care because he was out in Washington. Then oh, so you don't care. It doesn't matter. It doesn't that, matter. Uh, we're not going to talk about that because <laughs> he wasn't with the Packers That's then. It's not in my purview. God, you sound like a Bears fan. <laughs> Tell me what he did. Okay. Well, this uh, player, Larry Brown, apparently had a hearing problem, and Vince Lombardi noticed the problem while he was watching films of the Redskins game. He noticed that Brown started with the snap of the ball instead of the quarterback's count. He oh, was never ahead, never started before that. They gave him a hearing aid. Yeah, that's exactly right. Vince Lombardi ordered Brown a special helmet with a built-in hearing aid wired to Brown's left ear, his good ear. Well, that doesn't take a lot of thought. If you see somebody can't hear, you get them a hearing aid. Well, apparently it's, it's significant enough to be included in Trivia Unlimited. <laughs> where right. I found this thing. All right, I thought it was something oh, really. Well. Now, and besides that, he wasn't with the Packers at the time, so <laughs> nothing matters. Jeez. Wow. Okay, Marsh. Okay. Well. Now, I know the fact that Vince Lombardi wasn't with the Packers. <laughs> 
that that's nothing to do with you don't like the baseball record you don't like the Vince Lombardi fact but those are the answers so apparently you're wrong twice <laughs> all right move on that's your happy place that's isn't my it, happy Bob? place Marsha's wrong you were wrong 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 okay here's another ocean question Bob okay pure seawater is colorless why does it often look blue Okay. Now, I always assume this had something to do with the, the sky that day, that the color of the sky mm-hmm. made, the, made it look blue. But is it plankton or something like that in the water? No, no. The ocean looks blue because red, orange, and yellow, those are the long wavelength lights, are absorbed more strongly by water than is blue, which is a short wavelength light. So when white light from the sun enters the ocean, it is mostly the blue light that gets returned. And that's why the water looks blue and the sky looks blue. It doesn't absorb the blue color, so it just reflects it back. And that's why we see blue. Well, that makes sense. Yeah, I never thought of that. I thought it was reflecting blue, but it it doesn't absorb it, so it reflects it back. So then why does the ocean sometimes look gray, Marcia? Green or gray, that's because there are sediment or particles in the water sometimes, and that can reflect a different color. That okay. Can, but by and large, if there isn't a lot of sediment or something, it's blue. And that's the reason why. That's why. All right, so, now we're going to go back. What did Ben Franklin contribute to ocean navigation? He contributed something to ocean navigation. Well, he did things with glasses and optics and stuff. Did he... Now, I'll tell you that this is not an object. He did not invent an object that dealt with that. Okay, you tell me then. I don't know. He discovered the Gulf Stream. (laughs) Isn't that interesting? And he named it that. So he noticed that American ships were taking two weeks less to cross the Atlantic Ocean than the British ships that came to America. So he found out that American sea pilots heading to Europe took advantage of an eastward current in the water, and when traveling to America, they avoided that current. So he did temperature measurements, changes in the water, experimented. So he drew up and published the first systematic chart of an ocean current uh-huh. in the world in 1769, and he called it the Gulf Stream. See, that's, that's curiosity and observation. Right. This chart was of a river in the ocean, is how he described yeah. it. So there's a current in there so, that yeah. goes. Yeah. And, you know, that's the one that takes you up the coast and then over to Europe. And apparently, for years, the British sailors ignored that, and Americans, they didn't ignore it, and they prospered more than the British. Oh, I'll be darned. Yeah, because we were faster ships because we knew about this Gulf Stream. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. All right. So I know how you often I enjoy the ones, the famous last words. Yes. Uh, Since we're coming to the end of the show today, famous last words, very appropriate. (laughs) But I was looking at uh, famous tombstones. Okay. And I'll end with three that I thought were funny. There was a guy named John Yeast, and on his, he had written on his tombstone, here lies John Yeast, pardon me for not rising. (laughs) That's good. There was a guy tortured all his life for his name, I'll bet. Oh, yeah. But But he got the last laugh, didn't he? Well, yeah, I think so. I think he decided to go with it. Yeah. If you can't... Can't beat him, join him. That's it. Thank you. Rondi... Dangerfield. Remember him? Rodney Dangerfield. Yeah. And his tombstone said, there goes the neighborhood. (laughs) (laughs) And finally, Merv Griffin, who died in 2007, had put on his tombstone, I will not be right back after this message. Oh, that's good. (laughs) Well, that's very good. And we will not be right back today, but we'll be back again next week. And we hope you join us. 
I'm Bob Smith. I'm Marcia Smith. Join us again next week for more of The Off-Ramp. The Off-Ramp is produced in association with CPL Radio and the Cedarbrook Public Library, Cedarbrook, Wisconsin.